Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. I'm not a crook. If you like your health care plan, you'll be able to keep your health care plan. Listening to Jim Paris Live, your source for the latest news on money, politics, prophecy, and preparedness. And now your host, the editor-in-chief of ChristianMoney.com and the author of more than 30 books, Jim Paris. All right, hello everybody. Welcome to our second segment. Super excited to have with us tonight for the first time. Carl Tykrib, his book is Game of Gods, The Temple of Man in the Age of Reenchantment. And this book is really Really interesting. We're going to talk about it for about the next 30 minutes or so. Carl Tykrib, welcome to Jim Paris Live for the first time, sir. Hey, Jim. It's good to be on your program. Thank you. Now, can you hear me okay? I can. I can. All right. Fantastic. We can hear you great as well. And Did I get your name right? You nailed it. All right. That's great. Hey, I wanted to start by sort of segueing in from the news I covered in my first segment, uh, because I think it, it, it goes right into your book. I don't know if you have seen the news this week, but the infomercial guru seminar guy, Tony Robbins, has kind of run afoul of political correctness. Uh, apparently, uh, there are some videotapes of him saying the N-word in one of his seminars from years ago. Also, some videotapes of him being uh, pretty much insensitive towards some women uh, who had suffered abuse. And I talked a little bit about Tony Robbins in the first segment, but, um, you know, Tony Robbins to me kind of embodies this whole idea now. And Christians are, are into this as much as anybody else, these seminars, where you can just go to a seminar and they tell you that whatever you think you can accomplish, you'll be able to accomplish as if you yourself are a God and you can do all this on your own. And uh, some of these seminars even kind of get into some weird spiritual stuff. A a lady I know, very intelligent, very highly educated, went to a motivational seminar and I did some research on the guy and and he's uh, talking about your spirit guides and he'll meet with you separately and tell you who your spirit guides are. And I mean, this has morphed into something way beyond, you know, Norman Vincent Peale and positive thinking and goal setting. But I'll set the stage and, and, uh, and get your thoughts on that, that part of it, at least, uh, to begin with. Well, you know, I, it's interesting you brought that up because that fits hand in glove with the human potential movement and, and really the, the whole uh, industry built around motivation, be all you can be, all of that. Uh, really comes out of the of, of the human potential movement, which emerges from the 1960s, and at that time had its own spiritual component with it as well. There was a dovetailing of spirituality, Eastern spirituality primarily, uh, a, a sense of looking for the mystic, uh, the idea of of uh, human expansion, and that we could we could elevate the self, and we could. Through, through our own human potential, realize our, our own divinity and the power that we have. It really has a, uh, a, a me uh, focus. 
it was it really certainly had a focus on on the self. Uh, what's what is interesting is as a culture, you're seeing a bit of a shift now, and that's still there. That always that will always remain. But there is now a shift of, of this has to be done collectively. This is now in the group, and so it has become more of a group think. It's a group encounter. It is not about me. It's about we. And even as me, the individual, the self, uh, can develop and grow and ascend when you go all the way through into the New Age movement, the different, uh, different religious philosophies, uh, now that same idea is is considered within the group as well. It is no longer just me, it is we. We are divine. So there's. A, I'm glad you brought that up because that itself forms a really interesting segue into, into just where we have been uh, in our human story. I mean, this is really the story of Genesis chapter 3 uh, and a continuation of that at, at an individual level and then at the level of, of collectives and groups and civilization as a whole we have uh, we just repackage that over and over again don't we and you know I, I think part of it is all of this technology that people are excited about artificial intelligence uh, man morphing with computer uh, the the idea that maybe through certain medical advancements we could live forever uh, we're starting to see ourselves as invincible and as godlike isn't that right well, yes, uh, the, the transhumanist movement uh, certainly has as a, as a, as a very important uh, part of the movement, is, and the transhumanism movement is an intellectual, technical movement, but a very important part of that movement is the idea that we can become godlike. Uh, God language is rife in the technological transhumanist movement. Uh, I've spent a fair amount of time interacting with transhumanists. In my book, Gods, I have an entire chapter just devoted to the history and the contemporary thinking of transhumanism and this this god notion this idea that that now human potential becomes a post-human potential that we can rise beyond just the mortality of our bodies beyond uh, what we have been born with we will now look to enhance ourselves upgrade ourselves and to become something even more than what we already are. It is the idea of transformation. And, and so transhumanism plays a role in this. And it's an important thing for, for people to understand because the technologies that we use, uh, so much of the technologies that we use, has uh, some roots in the thinking uh, of that movement to some extent. Now, how much of this do you think is burgeoning from the millennial uh, you know the, the millennials more so than those of us that are 50 plus because oh, i know oh. you you go, you go to a <laughs> yeah. lot of these events isn't that right you go yeah. to a lot of these these events where people go out to the desert to wait for a ufo to land and tell them what to do with their lives uh, you're out at a lot of these events interacting i'm assuming with younger people well you know that that's kind of uh, might be a bit of a surprise but no it's it's every demographic okay uh, I, Yes, absolutely every demographic. Now, when I go to events like, let's say, Burning Man, and I've been to it a couple of times, uh, you do see every demographic involved. When I go to transhumanist events, yes, there's a lot of younger people, a lot of millennials, but the movement itself was born, so much of it was born out of the 50s and 60s and 70s, 
and some of the some of the leading lights in the movement are folks who are certainly well past the millennial point. Um, in fact, some of them were were the tech, technological leaders of the of the 70s and 80s and early 90s. Uh, demographically, demographically, this this spans um, generations in that respect. What is interesting, though, is the millennial generation and now Gen Z or Gen Z has picked it up and understood the the connection of it and have become very adept with it. And so there's a, 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 a more of a of an energized excitement that goes with it and not just simply that but an expectation that this is just simply how it is this is what we do um i mean we have a generation now that has never been at least in the western world has never been without some type of connection into into the internet into the wired world uh, it's just assumed that that's how yeah life yeah has i been. mean those of us that grew up with uh, three tv channels and no internet, and you had to move the uh, rabbit ears around to get the baseball game. You know, oh no, it's right, the seventh right. inning, I, and I, the, uh, I, somebody I remember, stand there yeah, and hold I, I mean, that's that's what we grew up with, and now we have kids right. today that have never lived without having access to hundreds of TV channels and the internet and all of this. Yeah, I mean, we have the we have the world at our fingertips, and this is something that that is new. This is. This is something that uh, we, we've never really experienced, and it, it, it itself uh, drives and change, cult, changes culture to some extent. But you're right. I mean, I grew up in the, in the generation. I'm now over 50. Uh, when, when I remember having a party line, uh, you know, uh, it, it was a very different world than it is today. Um, but that, that aspect, the, the younger generation, well, it's so easy for us to point to the younger generation and say, look, it's, it's millennials driving this, et cetera, et cetera. No, actually, uh, that's the one thing Game of Gods does is unpacks the history of these ideas and the history of these movements and shows that, no, really, there's already a mountain. There is an ocean of context behind this. And it is not something that's happened in a vacuum. It's not something that has just simply appeared in the last 10 years. Uh, no, rather, instead, there is a, a context that this comes out of. And that's important for people to understand because, uh, hey, we live in a, in a day and age of, of clickbait, and we're, we're not really sure what is truth and what is false. And it's important now, especially now, to be able to go into the context and to, to get the bigger picture and and. and have a sense of just how how big and how real it can re- it really is. Would you, would it be fair to to still call this the new age movement, just kind of a new version of it? Um, in a sense, the new age really was uh, re- really focused on the consuming self, the, the the individual as a spiritual consumer who could who could who could dip his or her spoon in a, in a very thinly spread but very large spiritual smorgasbord. This is really more, again, about the we, and and now it becomes more group-oriented. Uh, and, and that's why I, I have the subtitle of my book, Reenchantment. Reenchantment recognizes that this is something a little different yet than the New Age movement. It says instead of just the self, it says now the we, and not just simply you and me and a group of people, but we can incorporate everything from the environment. Uh, it can incorporate even if, as you go into, let's say, into uh, neo-pagan movements, and I have a chapter, a section on that. 
It can incorporate things like uh, the the hope or anticipation that we could include um, spiritual entities. The list goes on. It, it becomes much, much bigger than just a person. Yeah, and this whole um, the, this whole movement, uh, saving the earth, and all of this, and and we're hearing this especially from this. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, this this young 29-year-old who was able to get elected uh, to Congress, uh, saying we've only got 12 years left and we've got to all work together uh, to save Mother Earth. That would be an example uh, of this oh, kind of groupthink. Yeah, that is reenchantment. It, it is finding new purpose and new meaning in something bigger than yourself, something bigger than the individual, and that is. Your purpose is now directly connected to, to Gaia, to Mother Earth, to, to the, the spirit of nature, you name it. But it, 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 that absolutely is a sense of reenchantment. And how reenchantment, that, that thinking dovetails into politics. It streamlines into the areas of, of economy and culture and education. Uh, and it becomes all of a sudden the way people think. It's not just simply are people questioning or, or, you know, wrestling with it. No, all of a sudden now we find we have a generation of people who this is how they think because this is for the last 20 years. And I make the argument it goes back further than that. Uh, it goes all the way back to at least the late 1960s. And indeed you can trace it even beyond that. Uh, it, the, this is a point in time where things like Earth Day and Gaia and Mother Earth, and deep ecology has been very ingrained in the thinking of, of the generation that we see today. And I'm, I'm including myself because I'm plus, you know, 50 plus. Uh, if you want to take a look when, when ecology really man, uh, kind of went mainstream, you have to look back to the very first Earth Day in 1970, and then how that shaped, uh, shaped the generation that we lived in, too. This I know. Comes so, up. So, I, I unpack so, all of this. Yeah, in the book uh, for people that want to grab a copy, it's Game of Gods. You can grab it at Amazon. Now, tell me about some of these events that you've attended because I, I like that about your book that you're not just writing third person about these events. That you're actually going to these events like Burning Man, and you're actually attending for several days. You're interviewing people, doing surveys. So you're actually finding out firsthand from the people there. Tell us what they do at some of these events. Uh, someone was telling me oh. about some kind of rainbow festival where everybody like goes out into the like a big meadow and they all go in the same yoga pose for like 12 hours. Or I mean, this sounds like nutty stuff, but I mean, again, it's the whole group thing. I, I guess that's right. a big part of it. Uh, it, you know, and there is a there's a word that goes with that the, the idea of the group energy or that group flow, and that's communitas. This idea that in, in our community, that is where we find ourselves together. Uh, but yeah, the events I've been to, I've been to a, a range of 35, 40, maybe more events since the late 1990s. I've been doing this for a long time, um, and uh, the, the events range everything from United Nations global governance events where it's suit and ties and heavy agendas, heavy discussions uh, at, the, at the United Nations and at uh, uh, World Federalist events in different parts of Canada and the United States, to the religious side, including places like the Parliament of World Religions, which I break down in the book, 
I was at the United Religions Initiative, their their global summit back in the year 2000. Uh, then into the technological, uh, to going to transhumanist events. Back in 2013, I was asked to be a Christian critic of religious transhumanism and give a presentation to the Mormon Transhumanist Association. So I have a long involvement in, in working through that and including going to a number of, of their conferences and gatherings. And then on the cultural side, yes, Burning Man, um, transformational festivals. I've, I, from what I understand, I'm probably one of the first Christian authors who've unpacked that from a Christian point of view, uh, not just simply Burning Man as a singular event, but rather the, the larger cultural milieu that it fits into. And then along the way, I also go to New Age. Um, I go to Pagan and other events. I was at uh, a Pagan Wiccan uh, Satanist event back in March and spent three days listening to, uh, to Wiccans and witches and Luciferians and Satanists um, at, a, at a major conference of 800, 800 neo-pagans as they work through what paganism is looking like in this day and age. So I, I bring first-person experiences into it, and then, just as importantly, maybe more so, bringing in the history and the context and, and demonstrating that none of this, none of this has happened in a vacuum. All of this has legs, and there's a movement to it, and you can, you can project it, you can document it, you can analyze it. It's not conspiracy. It is just simply the way it is. And it seems to me like any student of the Bible that has studied Bible prophecy can see where this is all going, because those that don't understand Bible prophecy think that when the Antichrist appears, that there will be a destruction of all religion. You know, that, that's sort of the misunderstanding. But what really it is, it's the move to a one-world religion where we're not going to get rid of religion, but it's all going to be one thing. And, and that's how we get rid of it, is not by eliminating it, by making it all about one church. And this whole idea of this oneness of religions, th this, is, this is even being discussed among major evangelical personalities. Uh, I've, I've seen them uh, on YouTube videos talking about, you know, why do we have to accentuate these differences that we have between, let's say, Christianity uh, and the Muslim religion? Well, because there are differences. <laughs> That's the reason why we talk about some of the differences. Uh, we have right. a different God to begin with. Uh, but the idea right. is that uh, we're going to try to kind of get everybody together, groupthink, and sort of maybe compromise, find our common uh, ground, and have one religion that everybody agrees with. It, that's already happening, isn't it? Well, you know, it, when I was at the Parliament of World Religions, and I've been to a couple of the parliaments, and then I've been to a number of other interfaith events, in the past, uh, if you would go back to some of the, the events I attended in the year 2001, uh, there was a lot of talk of this was about unity, religions coming together and unifying, or the hope of unity. There was a shift. At the 2015 Parliament, there was a very discernible shift, and that was to say, okay, we're not so much about unifying, because that strips away diversity. What we are really interested in is harmonizing. And so you can be a so-called Christian, and you can be over there a, a, a Hindu, and you can be over here, you can be your neo-pagan, you can all be doing your own thing. There's this diversity. But in all of this, you're looking for a common a commonality that bridges all of this. You will all share a common purpose. 
you have common goals, there's a common service, and in, in the case of the 2015 Parliament and the 2018 Parliament, so much of that common service was now, is now your service is to the salvation of the earth. It is your service is to the collective of humanity. Your service is, from a biblical point of view, from my point of view, from a, as a Christian, because I'm a, that's my worldview, I am a Christian, and I take it from a Christian worldview, it is resurrecting and rebuilding the Tower of Babel for today. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 you know, when we look at the technology that we have and, and all this, but what scares me about this, Carl, is how it seems like especially the larger churches are getting into this, this idea that uh, these, these sort of motivational themes that replace the Bible and these ideas, uh, for example, I have uh, Christian friends now using phrases like, instead of I'm praying for you, I'm sending you good energy. I mean, this is the kind of thing that is happening. It is literally like a new religion being superimposed over Christianity. Right, right. And so we, we carry all of our, our Christian language and how it looks and how it feels. We go to our churches, and yet at the same time, what we're doing is we're living, we're speaking, we're playing with another religion that comes over top of it. Uh, yes, yes, that's a very good observation. So talk a little bit about paganism and witchcraft, because we, that's a theme we cover on this show from time to time. And many people that are not really aware that this is a real thing, uh, they, they think it is, it is the uh, fodder of Wizard of Oz, and it's some make-believe thing. And on Halloween, people dress up as witches, this is a real thing. There are people that are actually witches that actually cast spells and live that life. Isn't that right? Oh, there's lots of people. My goodness, absolutely. It, is, and it will depend on what part, of, what part of the country you're in. Now, yes, you will encounter uh, people who adhere to paganism or witchcraft or Wicca uh, all over the place. You're going to run into them in small towns and big cities. But in certain parts of the country, there are more, or at least, to be, at least there's a more of a concentration than in other places. For an example, the Twin Cities, St. Paul and Minneapolis, uh, have a very large pagan presence, uh, a very, very energized pagan presence. They are, they're very active. And indeed, there is such a large pagan presence in the Twin Cities that the, that the pagans of that, of that region call their part of, of the country Paganistan, as wow. in their own homeland. Uh, and so you can go to conferences, you can go to events. There are, if you want, you can go uh, to, to festivals in Ohio, festivals in Pennsylvania, festivals across the U.S. Midwest where, where witches and Wiccans come together. Um, this isn't hidden. None of this is hidden. It's there, but we have, as Christians, for the most part, tended to push this off to the side and said, okay, that's fringe, that is super fringe. No, no, it's not anymore. It is, it is the, the reshaping of the culture that we have. I put it this way, and I, I bring it out in the book, um, and this is a very important distinction, a, a, a point we need to understand, and my friend Dr. Peter Jones from Truth Exchange has done a marvelous job of, of bringing this out. You have to be able to look at reality in one of two ways. The first way, the biblical way, says God is separate from nature. He is completely unique. He is not the same as man, not the same as creation. 
Reality is two, or two-ism, God and everything else. The pagan worldview says no. No, God, man, and nature are all essentially the same. They share a core. They share a commonality. There is really no distinction between those three realms. And so this is, and that's as, as basic as you get. But as you start tearing down uh, and, and, and analyzing politics, religion, uh, culture, technology, even economics, when you start unpacking what's happening, you see that it will fit into one of those two worldviews, either twoism, where we realize and accept God is the one who is unique, and that we are all created beings, or oneism, which says God, man, and nature are all essentially the same. Therefore, therefore, the state can be God, or technology can be God, or man can be God, and we build the temple of man. I don't know how much your book gets into politics, but I wanted to close with a thought or a question for you about President Trump, because he seems like that one voice that questions these group movements, and they go they go ape. It's like when, when they say, no, we've only got 12 years left on this earth because of global warming, and Trump will say, well, wait a minute, I don't agree with that. And, and then there's this outrage that how dare him disagree with the narrative that, quote-unquote, everyone believes in. He seems to be that guy that, that tweaks them by going against these large group narratives. Um, is, is that your take as well? Oh, he has certainly been a wild card in, in their narrative, no doubt. Uh, but at the same time, I always have to keep in mind that the President of the United States, no matter who it is, is only there for a temporary period. That's uh, right. There's always, there's always still movements and there's still things happening. There's still influences. There still are forces of change uh, that go um, throughout the culture. And that while a president may help shape or change some of that, um, at the same time, there's always this, this struggle, this conflict between literally these two worldviews. And, uh, yeah, it's interesting to see how, how the whole uh, situation with Trump has has aggravated uh, the progressive left oneness side uh, in a significant way. And, 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 Jim, yes, my book does del- delve into the political side uh, quite a bit, actually. If you go into Chapter 11, there's an entire chapter entitled The Cult of World Order, as I take you to the United Nations Millennium Forum and allow you to sit down and see how world order and the idea of world order and world governance, global government, really is a cult, believing that the state, or in this case, an international political organization, becomes a savior of humanity. That also is oneism. Fantastic book. It's more than 500 pages, uh, quite a large section of footnotes, uh, very well researched. How many years did it take for you to write this? This is drawing from... from uh, the work I've been doing since the early 1990s, full-time since 1997. So there is uh, there's a substantial amount of time uh, and I resources, bet. yes, that have gone into the making of this book. And uh, Carl Teichrib, the book is called Game of Gods, the Temple of Man and the Agent of Reenchantment. You can grab it on Amazon. Carl, do you want to share a website or any events that you have coming up? Well, sure, yes. If people want to check out gameofgods.ca, uh, you can read excerpts of the book there. You can check out the bibliography, get to know a little bit about myself. 
And, uh, yeah, definitely poke around the site. There might be some things of interest for your listeners. And you are in Canada, is that right, my producer was telling me? That's correct, yes. Uh, Probably up in uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba, right, that area? Not far, not far, yes. Okay, very good. There's a uh, Christian uh, broadcasting organization up there that many years ago I was on doing a book interview. Is that still going? I believe it, it still is. I haven't heard much of it, though, for a few years, so I'm not sure where it stands. But, yeah, yeah, that's, that's my neck of but the I, woods. But I know I, Christian Broadcasting, they told me this was years ago, they're not allowed to say some things on their broadcast channels or they lose their channel. Like well, they can't yes. speak out against homosexuality or other things or they could lose their channel. Uh, as a, as a country, uh, Canada, we have we are very progressive left in in many things, and so as Christians here, uh, sometimes you end up walking a tightrope. Absolutely, and um, that's you know this is important it's even for folks in the U.S. to realize that what we're talking about, um, yeah, there there are practical and real world consequences uh, sometimes to stand up for your faith. Very and good, of course, Carl. Of course, you folks know that as well. Carl Teichrib has been our guest. The book is Game of Gods, The Temple of Man and the Age of Reenchantment. Thanks for joining us, Carl. I hope you'll come back again soon. Sounds great, Jim. Have a great evening. Thank you very much. And uh, it's uh, an interesting night. We're still working on this, uh, the live stream of the show. I, I, I've got a solution, I think, that will make it better next week. So for those of you that listen live, um, of course, this show will be put on the uh, download and the podcast and all of that. But uh, Stick with us. We're figuring it out, and hopefully by next week we'll have the live stream perfected. That's my hope anyway. And remember, if it's Sunday night, it's Jim Paris Live. We'll talk to you next week, everybody.